everyone. Today, Josh Fisher and I will be meeting with somebody we've not met before. He actually is in charge of animal services for a rural shelter in Arkansas. They have a population of about 28,000 in Carroll County with about 600 square miles, three municipalities. They handle about 400 to 500 animals annually and they rely on two thrift stores to uh, fund the majority of the organization. The, prior to joining the organization, uh, Cole Wakefield, who is the Animal Services Director, spent some time at Hope Humane in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And right now he has been in his position for only a few months, starting in November of 2019, just in time to get his feet wet and ready for COVID-19 to strike. So today we wanted to talk to Cole Wakefield about rural shelters and how they're handling COVID. So Cole, welcome, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Well, a lot of people are probably wondering how we got connected. And it's because you actually went on our uh, general discussion forum and raised the issue. Rural animal shelters, you know, nobody's really talking about them. And so um, I jumped on and said, well, let's talk about them. So we're really happy that you could be with us and start this conversation about how uh, communities are all very different in this COVID pandemic. Yeah. Another challenge of rural uh, uh, work. And can you make can you make sure that everybody is like off the internet and doing dialogue on their phone or anything? <clears throat> I don't know. No. Sorry, he did a radio check. So we. <laughs> Everything's everything is uh yeah, but I'm gonna, I'll make sure my phone is off the Wi-Fi. That may help. But we have like um we have like a ten or an eight megabit connection, which is the best we can get. Oh my god. When I when I got here we were we were on a um a, a Wi-Fi hotspot with a twenty gig limit and we just now got actual uh, internet to the shelter oh well the challenges of rural yes, shelters ab absolutely here we are we've identified one <laughs> so cole how are you doing how's your team doing we're doing good we're doing good um you know we were we've been very fortunate in that even though our, our intake numbers are up significantly uh our adoption numbers were also up um, and that we took in this record number, but we're not overcrowded. We're not quite to capacity yet. Um, you know, one of these was a puppy mill dump of 24 Chihuahua, Chihuahua, little angry things. Uh, but we were able to find a rescue partner for transport uh, within a matter of days to get them uh, moved on. And there's about eight or nine in one kennel, but it's okay. They fit because they're tiny. <laughs> So Cole, with you guys having to shut down intake for about a month, have you had any um, policy changes or process and procedural changes since COVID that have impacted your operation and that are going to be lasting changes? Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, and some of this was coming in as we were transitioning into 
a more progressive approach in general um, as an organization. And um, we were able to use some of the COVID time. Like, you know, when we closed intakes um, in adoption rates stayed uh, solid, we were empty, <laughs> almost empty uh, there, but we still uh, wanted to retain staff. So we had everybody go through fear-free certification. Um, and that's now a part of our uh, just standard onboarding. If you're working with animals, then you're going to do the fear-free shelters course. Um, and so, and things like, so we've encouraged that and we were able to do some repairs to the building, things like that, that you couldn't do when you had full kennels. So what do you see as kind of, um, as, as a rural shelter in America and post, uh, kind of on the tail end and post COVID moving into what our new normal may look like. Um, what do you see that being for you? I worry that as that we're not really going to feel the impact um, until another 30 to 90 days um, as people feel the true economic uh, harm that is done. Um, and then in rural shelter, I mean, rural shelters are all surrounded by large and small scale puppy mills, whether they're backyard operations or barn operations, what's going to happen if people stop purchasing puppies, which I think we would all agree is a good thing. But if all these places collapse at once, and that may be very where those, where our 24 Chewinis came in, uh, you know, that's a lot, that'll be a lot for rural shelters to absorb. If we're losing, you know, all of a sudden we're asked for all these puppy mill dumps. And at the same time, you know, we have a lot of our pressure is taken off of us by, you know, a small group of, you know, rescues run by individuals who are dedicated and put a lot of their own energy and assets into it. Uh, but, you know, if the eco economy makes it hard for them to raise money too, uh, at the same time, everything else is going on, are we going to be expected or have to try to absorb uh, any overflow or the results of any of them closing? So, you know, we just haven't seen that response that we were getting in a lot of the urban shelters as their sort of answer to the damages of COVID. Um, and also as the model, new model of animal welfare is we're going to put everybody in foster homes, but we're not seeing that come up here. We're not seeing that response here. It's, you know, and it's just a different community. Uh, though I have heard from some rural shelters that are doing good with foster programs, but I've also heard uh, from, from many that have tried that foster push and they're just not getting it. And it's the same issue with volunteers. Um, you know, we don't have that population density. We don't have that housing density of people who can just take in these animals. So, sure. um, so I think that's something that we have to figure out. You know, the model coming out from a lot of the large agencies is that foster model. And so we're gonna have to figure out what else is gonna work here and how do we supplement it if it's not as strong here. Um, sure. You know, what part of the, the animal social services new, you know, model you know, how can we make that work in rural settings? Because I think we all agree that sh that diversion and getting out there and preventing the animals from ever coming in is key. Um, but we may need to focus things in a little bit different direction to make that happen in a rural environment as opposed to the urban environment. Absolutely. And I think um, since you brought up that human support um, services model, that's something that is definitely a point of discussion around that is that every community is different. And so it's going to have to be tailored to each community. Right. right. Um, and you mentioned when you were talking about the um, recent puppy mill, large number of puppy mill intake that you had, that you had some success with transport. So is that potentially something that could 
um, grow and expand. You know, you're talking about all of these um, intakes and I'm thinking about, you know, these bigger organizations that, you know, 24 Chewini puppies is like gold to a lot of these folks, right? right? So um, is there an opportunity there? Yeah, I mean, transport is, um, I think transport's very important, uh, valuable. My, my, my fear though, is that what we need to just be ready for, maybe it won't happen. And, and maybe things will, will settle out, you know, the economy won't be as bad as we're all worried it will be. You know, this sort of nightmare situation will work itself out. But, you know, how much stress can the transport system, how much stress can take out, you know, if, and then if the economy starts getting really bad for our partners up north, and they start dealing with an uptake in surrenders and an uptake in their own issues where, you know, are they going to be able to pull at those numbers? You know, it's just, if the whole system is overwhelmed, um, you know, what's going to happen. And, and that's what's scary, but yeah, no, yeah. Transporting is great. Um, uh, but it's just like sheltering. It's not the solution. It's, uh, it's simply, it's the bucket of water underneath the leaky roof. We've got to, um, get up on the roof and patch it if we really want to make a change. And, um, You know, and I think we're finally realizing that, you know, as a industry of, as a whole, um, I just, and I, you know, sometimes we get these guidance and these models and we go, you know, that's great, but, but we, we, you know, we need help trying to figure something else out that's going to work for us. I want to build a social services model in Carroll County and I want it to be viable. And I think it's the only way that we're going to solve our problem, but the playbook that, that we're getting um, from from the more urban shelters and from our large national organizations, I just don't think is going to mold in at a one-for-one um, way. Sure. So one of the things that I've heard from some rural communities here in North Carolina um, is surrounding resource deserts, right? So access to care, access to support, um, cl- veterinary clinics, that kind of thing. Is that something you experience in Carroll County? We have vets, but we all, you know, that, that serve a good part of the county, but then we also have a large part of our county that can't afford to go even to the vets that serve our county. In just a little bit outside of the county, up into Missouri, up into our neighboring counties, where those sort of service deserts do exist, and we, you know, we pull in from there too. I mean, we people come to us because um, you know they don't have those resources where they're at. Uh, but that definitely is happening. I think a lot of it needs to do with affordable care. You, you know, you can have 15 vets. Uh, on one street, but if the services there aren't affordable to somebody who is making $10 an hour, then you, know, you might as well not have a vet at all. The access piece is key. Yeah. So what do you see for, for your community? And because being a nonprofit that doesn't have a municipal contract, you have kind of a almost a more regional approach, right? right. So what do you see as, as next for your region? We're we're in an interesting um, situation here in that um, on the west side of the county, which we're based on the edge of where the shelter is, is Eureka Springs, which is a retirement and tourism sort of hub uh, that has a whole different economy than the rest of the county. Uh, So, you know, the per capita income inside Eureka is a, you know, is higher than the rest of the county. And, and Eureka is what has financially supported us largely um, just because of it's that just that type of community. So now our goal, we have to figure out where the real need is, though, is in the eastern side of the county where we deal with a 
uh, a more rural and more working class environment. And so that's our next thing is how can we do, how can we really reach that, the, you know, where we're most needed. And, uh, you know, we started when COVID hit and people started getting laid off. Uh, we started doing food banking, providing pet food uh, to the local food banks. Uh, and we want to try to find other ways to provide preventatives. You know, heartworms and tick-borne diseases are a big problem out here. And uh, so we're trying to find ways that we can provide discounted or free uh, preventatives um, and that sort of thing as we lead into a more proactive approach into taking care of animals. How would you expect the national conversation to talk about rural shelters? What's missing in that conversation? A lot of those models that can be brought into the rural setting, some really great things that develop out of those resources. Uh, but just that pause to go, okay, well, what if they don't have that volunteer base? And what if it's not a matter of not asking for volunteers, it's just a matter that the community can't support that level of volunteers. And I think and it realizes that, you know, a lot of the urban environments you know, they have the large central organizations that serve a large population. Well, you know, but there's 15 different organizations that serve that same number of populations spread out over a rural environment. Um, and also a lot of your rural, uh, you know, organizations are either all volunteer or mostly volunteer. They may be led by people who aren't hooked into the association, aren't hooked into um, ASPCA Pro, you know, who don't know that, even know that these resources are out there. They're just people who have a passion and, you know, wanted to change something in their community. So I think we've got to do better of reaching out in general to all these small organizations, finding ways that we can leverage them um, and get that information out to them. You know, it's just, I think there's different challenges of organization and just would like to see that, that, um, you know, recognize and say, okay, hey, this is work in the city. So when we propose, and I think, and I really want to realize that, you know, this new thing, like fostering is awesome, but I don't think fostering is going to solve the problems that it, that people feel like it's solving in large concentrated population areas. I don't think it's going to work like that as well in the rural areas. And I mean, I would love for it to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, and I'm, and I love the positive news and I love the positive things, but we have to be real that, we can show empty kennels all we want all day, but in, you know, that's because intakes were down. What shelter animals count 51%. You know, people closed their doors and emptied their shelters. That's not solving the problem. And I think we've got to make sure that we're looking at things as a whole. Let's, let's promote the good and let's smile and be happy about our wins, but we can't let that be say, oh, well, look what we did. But I mean, I can shut my doors and empty my kennels. Anybody can. Um, you know, there's so much more to it. And I just worry that, and maybe these conversations are going on behind closed doors. And maybe, but, you know, I just worry that we haven't looked at this whole crisis as a whole and that it may come back and, and, and bite us. And I hope it doesn't. I hope everything goes great. I really do. I want to, you know, like, I'm a happy, positive person, right? And I, and I celebrate good things. But I just, you know, our, my nightmare is that in, in two to three months, you know, we may be drowning and without a plan. And part of it is you realize if you work in the South, Josh, you understand that, um, you know, rural governments aren't going to pay a penny more because somebody slaps no kill on their label. They, 
they have, you know, limited budgets and they have constituents calling about their stray dogs and they want the lowest price and the most efficient way to handle that. And we can't market it as, well, you know, you know, it's going to cost the county more, but we're going to do the right thing. The right thing for them is to get the dog off the street and whatever happens after that happens because they're worried about, you know, the thousand miles of county roads they have to maintain and they're underfunded social services and they're underfunded schools. So, you know, and that's another thing. You know, we can't, we have to realize that it's just a different dynamic uh, in the South and in the Southern. It, people still love their animals. People here love their animals just as much anywhere else. And they want to do right by them. Um, but the, the generation of humane education hasn't happened. Um, you know, all these things that people are taking for granted in other places because these organizations have been acting on that in the last 10 to 20 years. It just hasn't happened here yet. So we have to remember we can't engage even the population the same way. We have to do work, you know, that's a little bit different. Yeah, and I think that that's an important piece of it, um, like Catherine has said too, in that this whole concept, one of the things that we have to keep in mind through through the conversations is that these are, are pilot programs and recommendations that have to be transformed transferable and something that has to be able to be modified to each community because every community be it rural be it urban be it a mix of both um, they have it they're different right and the challenges that they face are different and the resources that they have are different and so I think that that's something that we are acknowledging but but we to your point we need to deepen the conversation right and we need to potentially have some conversations around those regional issues and what you know, is facing what's different as far as a southeastern community versus a northeastern community or a west coast community um, and have some regional conversations about what some of the challenges are so that we can help the process of um, transitioning those models. Because my fear and one thing, um, Cole, that I really appreciate you bringing up is uh, that we will lose people's willingness to even have the conversation if we don't acknowledge the differences from jump. Cole, thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, we just really wish you the best of luck and we'll keep talking with you. Thank you, thanks for having me on. I think and this is what it's all about is a conversation and getting it started. We work in one of the most unique industries where people will spend a lot of money and work a lot of time and work really hard to come up with an answer and then share it with everybody. And that's pretty awesome. And um, that's what makes me happy to, uh, to be a part of things here. We're all working together for the same thing. And, you know, I think we can, we can do good as a country and as an industry as a whole. Uh, we just got to keep talking and keep working together. Absolutely. It was great to meet you, Cole.